0: Well, tonight we are in the book of Exodus 22, and uh, we're looking at the civil laws. And you know, what's interesting is, is you know, I've taught this many times before, and uh, to be honest with you, it was sort of dry, you know, you're just trying to get through it and say, wow, you know, we're studying the whole Bible and we just proved it, and everybody's like, uh, yeah, what, what, uh, what's going on, you know? but uh it's not so anymore it's interesting uh i can't believe how many conversations i'm having over these civil laws and and why is that because i think there's a whole generation of people that haven't really thought about it they're just like hey go to soccer practice and you know pay my bills and live my life and and whatever happens in dc and whatever happens with the judicial system uh, who cares? I, I got life to live, but right now there's just so many things in our face, and and the judgments from the judges are so ridiculous that it's going just against common sense. It's going against just what human nature typically would reveal itself to be, and then of course very anti-Christian, uh, very much. Um, not just against common sense, whether it's you know, transgendered in the military and now the military has to pay for a transgender operation in the military and these kind of things. And you're just like going, what? They're not only forced to let them in, it's not an option surgery as it is in the world. It's, it's a mandatory. If they want that surgery, they got to pay for it. And these kind of things that are just sort of saying, what? You know, and so um, as we're looking at this, um, it's, it's interesting how applicable it is to us right now. People are, are sensing it. So it's sort of fun teaching through it when there's such a deep interest in these things. Well, Lord, we ask tonight you'd open your word to us to behold wondrous things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So Exodus 22, going through again the civil laws, that guys were for the judges. Remember they had judges over tens, over hundreds, over thousands. These guys came out of a pagan culture. They had been there for 430 years. All they had seen was slavery, and, and whatever law was over them was just a pagan sense of rule and uh, so they really didn't have any guidelines or standards or or sense of, of justice and fairness to the way it would look in a, in a society and uh, I again just want to remind you that what we're studying here is over 3500 years old and so there's going to be a lot of unique laws that only apply to people uh, of this time period, of going through a desert, of starting a country where God is their king, and and the priests or the the civil and the spiritual authorities, a lot of unique things make there. But even now in our country, I won't go into any of them. But uh, there's a lot of funny laws still on the books of every city and every state. You know, um, in Washington D.C., for example, um, every Taxi driver is to have a shovel and a bucket on every taxi. And if they don't, it's a $50 fine. Of course, this is back when there was horses, right? (laughs) But it's still on the books. And you say, well, that's a stupid rule. It wasn't a stupid rule when they made it. But yeah, they, they didn't take it off the books once cars got going so um, again this is this is the kind of thing we'll find and then of course as i, I mentioned uh, this is sort of the skeleton and they're going to see more meat put on the bones as you get into numbers and deuteronomy and joshua and then um, applications when we see it applied throughout the years of the kings and then of course solomon adds a lot of wisdom on how to look at some of the laws and then as we come into the new testament uh, it was very different than, than what is talked about here, the way they uh, applied it and used it. But they, they still continue to use it in the New Testament, sort of the way we do too, to say, you know, let's start with God's sense of what's fair, of what's just, of what's equitable. What, what, is God, what did God think? Because God doesn't change. He's, he's the same today, yesterday, forever. So uh, in the Old Testament, if, if a guy slept with his father's wife and got married <laughs> to her, his stepmom, he would just be put to death. In 1 Corinthians 5, it doesn't say put him to death, but it does say excommunicate him from the church until he repents and gives up that relationship. So in the Old Testament, it's literal and physical, but there's just, it shows God's heart and passion and in the New Testament, we have the same heart and passion and, and the, the same severity of cutting that little leaven away uh, so there's not more. And so it's, again, um, it's weird, 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 the way uh, our, our early forefathers of our country picked and chose, uh, even be going, going all the way back into the 1600s, uh, certain laws. They would say, oh, this law, yeah, let's apply this one. Kill the witches. Oh, let's go kill the witches. But then there's other things. They're just like, well, we're not going <laughs> to, we won't pay attention to the slave thing of, you know, only six years and they got to go out with their wages and, you know, we'll just keep them slaves for life. So it, it, it's, it's often the case when people look at the 613 laws and they say, well, we're going to apply these laws. They, they start picking and choosing. And I do not think God was saying, here's a cookie cutter. Here it is. Every country, every civilization, everybody should apply these the way they are uh, here in, in, in the book of the law. No, no, that was never God's intention. And so people try to minimize the Bible or even mock the Bible or say the Bible's evil because of the way justice would be spent out. Uh, upon various situations but uh, no if you look at it in context what are you looking at civil laws, ceremonial laws priestly laws what are the law and then after you get them in those categories and then you can say well the priestly laws don't apply those were all fulfilled in Christ ceremonial laws were all fulfilled in Christ Uh, but the civil laws yes it still gives us a sense of how God was thinking and God will always think. He's not going to change his mind. Again, I I had years ago a guy on the radio when I was doing To Every Man Answer said, you know, if Jesus came back right now and said, homosexuality is not a sin, it's okay. Would it therefore no longer be a sin? And the answer is it never was a sin because God said it. It's a sin because it's a sin, period. God said it to make it clear that man wouldn't be confused and that he would understand that was never his intention, making a sex drive a very strong drive within the human race. But there's definitely boundaries with it. And it's probably to give our body as a living, holy sacrifice unto God, it's probably one of the toughest areas to be sanctified before God, isn't it? With our sexuality being such a strong, strong drive. And God gives it a clear boundary to keep it in that boundary. It's probably one of the hardest things that uh, mankind wrestles with. Uh, because again inside the boundaries God's given it it's beautiful and very powerful outside of that it can be powerfully destructive well we jump in here to chapter 22 verse 1 if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it he shall restore five oxen for an oxen and four sheep for a sheep so again the Bible talks about restitution, not incarceration. We, as the United States, make up less than 5% of the population of the world. Yet, we have right around 22 to 25% of all the incarcerated people throughout the world. This 5% is incarcerating almost 25% of those incarcerated worldwide. It just, again, tells you that, you know, you you say, well, in the Bible, everything, just kill them. Just kill them. You know, the Bible's horrible. It's wicked. Our answer to everything is lock them up, lock them up, put them in jail, put them in prison. Five years, 10 years, years. And it's not helping anything. It's only making things worse. But yet somehow that's superior to what that stupid Bible says and and you know the proofs in the pudding this is not working putting more people in prison longer periods of time I agree it's hellish I agree when they go in they never want to go in again but eighty percent of people that go in prison return back to prison most of them having done a worse crime so again um stupid is, as stupid does, as Forrest Gump said, and uh, yeah, okay, the Bible here may not have the perfect answer for our situation, but we don't have the perfect answer for our situation, and that's for sure. However, uh, it's just simply, you know, how horrible is the thief? How many times is he? It's just like, look, We're not gonna sit around and judge his heart. Everybody's stolen. Everybody's been a thief at one time. Usually when I ask that, somebody oh, I never did. Did you ever take anything out of your mom's purse that you weren't supposed to? Well, yeah, you're not only a thief, you're the worst kind of thief, you stole from your own poor mother. You know? So yes, we've all been a thief. So it's not just sit around and judge it and look at his heart and it's just simply, dude, you're busted. It's going to cost you severely. Interesting. <laughs> that the way you judge is the way you're going to be judged. The way you condemn is the way you're going to be condemned. And you guys might remember that story in 1st Samuel chapter 12 when David had sinned with Bathsheba. And he was, able, he was unable to just confess it and repent because he just didn't see a way God could forgive him for such horrible action. But Nathan comes and tells him this story about this poor guy who just had one sheep and the rich guy across the street, not wanting to kill one of his own sheep to feed his guest who came out of town, went over and stole the poor man's sheep and cooked it up for his guest. And Nathan says, David, what shall we do? And David said, surely that man shall be put to death. And then Nathan says, David, you're the man. Ah, you know, Uriah just had one little beautiful lamb, Bathsheba. You had all harem. And, uh, but it was interesting because David, who was at that time the final judge, like Moses, the final Supreme Court judge there was, should have just simply said, look, you shouldn't even be asking me it's very clear that horrible rich man needs to go take one of his 3000 sheep and give four back to the poor guy. Um, end of story. But because David's heart was condemning him, he had put that judgment and condemnation on others. It's amazing how our, our sins don't look so bad on us, but they really look horrible on somebody else. And, uh, Later, Solomon, he sort of clarifies on saying, hey, you know, check your heart on this. When, you know, yeah, you, you can say, give me four back or give me five back. And, and yes, that's your law. You can legally do that. But Solomon says, should you? Should you do that? And he says, you might want to take a look at it. And in Proverbs chapter six, verse 30 and 31, people do not spies a thief if, He seals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet, when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. This is for a thief. We'll see this in a minute. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. So, you know, without justice, you cannot have a society. But Solomon, in essence, says, don't despise him, but yet... If he, he was caught breaking and entering and stealing, he needs to give back seven a, a back. That's what the law is going to enforce. But should you enforce it when it's a man just trying to feed his own family? He's not trying to get rich or, you know, he's got some black market going where he's, you know, trying to get more and more money as a, as a wealthy thief. He's simply just trying to get by the day. Well, in verse 22. Verse 2 through 4, if a thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. California has a pretty good rule on that. Um, if somebody is in your house uh, and, and you shoot them um, or kill them, uh, you're, you're pretty much free and clear. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed he should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So that could earn him a a six-year stint as a slave. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it's an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. So again, it's, you can see there, it's like, now, which is this? What kind of stealing is this? What kind of thievery is this? We're going to see some more here in a minute. And and how does it play out? Uh, in this case, it's, it's you caught it, you got you got your property back, he's got to, to double it. Uh, however, if it's taken and later it's found out, he's got to give four times back, or five times back, or as Solomon said, uh, depending on the situation, it could be up to seven times back. So, um, we, we see that there is definitely a sense of this would be a standard judgment a judge would make, but yet there's flexibility, sort of looking at the circumstances of how that judgment might be doled out. In verse 5, if a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed and let loose his animal, and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make, again, restitution from the best, the best of his own field, and the best of his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that this stacked grain, stacked standing grain, or in the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. Boy, we've had some serious issues with that, haven't we? Here in California, there's some pretty steep laws now even if it was an accidental setting of a fire where you weren't supposed to be setting fires at all. And so here he again is just simply saying things happen, you know, but you got a guy who's barely getting by and he doesn't have money to fix his fence or he doesn't have enough employees to watch all the animals and He's constantly just trying to keep him corralled, and all of a sudden his wife gets sick, and he's trying to take care of her. And and the next thing he knows, the nigger banging on his door, all mad at him because his cow's out in his field. And and he goes out and grabs it, brings it back. And the guy's like, Yeah, but he damaged a good portion of things here. You know what? It's, It's very simple. You just have to give back whatever was lost in that. Well, I just would rather go back in time and as. His uh, ox never entered my field. I know, I know. It, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but things happen, don't they? And, uh, and God's got a reason for all things. But nevertheless, um, you just got to make it right. And again, I, I, I find that this whole idea of restitution is, is lacking in our culture. Now, talking about a fire being set and doing tremendous damage james chapter 3 right he's there he says he says man the tongue it's it's like a spark but it'll set a whole forest on fire and it is the most difficult thing on earth to tame you can tame giant killer whales in sea world and and lions, and snakes, and you can just about get anything under control but the tongue. That's a constant fire hazard, and you got to watch it because you know what? It's not like you can just say, oh, well, I burnt down a quarter of your grain field. Let me pay you some money for it. Yeah, it was all about money to begin with. It's going to be hard. I was going to use that grain to feed my animals. I'd have to buy it, and you know, hope I get as good as deal on buying it from somebody else to feed my animals. But when you're gossiping, or you're saying things that are rumored to be said, you do some serious damage, don't you? And unfortunately it's virtually impossible to make restitution because you can't take those words back. You can't take those thoughts that you placed in people's heads back. And uh, I can tell you as a a pastor, I have seen many other pastors as well as myself uh, as my own family being attacked. And I've just seen it where people will say the most crazy, ludicrous things and you're like, yeah, it's no big deal. Nobody's going to believe that. But yet when they hear it from the third person going around, all of a sudden it's a fact. And now they're not gossiping. They're saying it's a fact. As three different people mentioned it to me. Guys, it just doesn't work that way. The Bible says, let everything we speak be unto edification. And it's just, it's just a rule. Don't, don't say anything negative. Don't say anything hurtful. Why? Well, did you hear about so-and-so? You know what? I don't know, and I'm free or not knowing. I'm happy or not knowing. Because the next time I see them, I just give them a big hug, and they don't feel weird. I don't feel weird. You know, they're all, you know, paranoid because this thing's been going around, but I don't know about it. I don't want to know about it. I, I just want to love people, right, and care about them. And uh, it's something that's very, very hard to fight against because our human nature is by the inquire, inquiring minds want to know, you know, um, is, is one of uh, Brad Pitt and Angela Joel Lee's uh, uh, kids really an alien from another planet, I don't know, they sort of look like it, let me read on that, yes, they were birthed in Roswell, and you know, whatever, um, it's ludicrous, but yet you find people breathing some, some pretty crazy things, don't be a part of it, don't Don't help the fire keep going. Put it out by not participating. Well, in verse 7, Now if a man delivers his neighbor's money or articles to keep, it is stolen out of the man's house. If the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he had put his hand into his neighbor's goods. So this is this situation where the guy says, "Hey, can you hold on to this box for me?" And you're going, "Yeah, just stick it under my bed there." And he comes back a few weeks later and pulls the box out, and it's empty. And uh, the guy said, "Hey, I gave you a box with a thousand dollars in it," and you're like, "You know, I never looked. You, wherever you put it, that's where it's at." And and he says, uh, "No, you owe me a thousand bucks. You you opened that box and took it out." And he said, "No, I didn't." And uh, Maybe somebody broke in, saw you carrying the box over to my house, and as soon as I was out uh, in the fields, they broke in and took the thousand and put the box back, and I didn't know anything about it until you showed up and and told me, well, it's going to go to the judges, and the judges have to weigh it out and and make a decision. Um, Interesting here, the word that we've been looking at, judges, back in chapter 21 as well, is... The actual Hebrew word Elohim, which is a word for God. And so this judges is actually the plural for El, which is gods. You guys are gods or uh, sometimes it's translated mighty ones. And uh, what's interesting about this is just showing the power that these people have by God. Remember Romans 13, all authority has been given to us by God. Anybody holds authority, it's from God. They're going to be held responsible for having that authority. And they better uh, realize that every decision they're making is going to be audited by God in heaven. But um, interesting in John 10 when, when Jesus says, you know, all that come to me are in my hand. All coming in my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. They picked up stones to stone him, making himself equal to be God. And then Jesus quotes this. Uh, he, he alludes to the verse in Psalms uh, 82.6, but also out of these passages where Jesus says in John 10.34, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. And uh, again, in context, he's referring to the judges having such power, but he's also talking about... God declaring man Elohim, and uh, of course Jesus is just messing with them here, saying, um, "You call yourselves Elohim, and you're not stoning each other. So you know I've said I'm equal to Elohim, and you're wanting to stone me to death. So what work have I done, or what works have I not done that would prove my statement false? They couldn't answer that, but they nevertheless again seize stones to stone him but he got away, and so it's a powerful place to, to be in a situation to judge, and there should be a, a mighty fear of God to realize God has given me this position and power to speak on his behalf. Wow, I would not want to be one of those ninth court <laughs> justices in our country Who have pretty much unanimously judged about as wickedly uh, as you can judge. Um, As well as many Supreme Court judges have have seriously gotten it wrong all the way back to slavery Um, during the time of Abraham Lincoln to up to the today's with the the definition of marriage and so forth, they, they clearly Uh, are not having God in their thoughts and realizing that the only reason they have that power, it's been handed to them by God. And God raises up and God brings down. Well, in verse 9, for any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing, which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges. Whoever the judge condemned shall pay double to his neighbor. If the man delivers his neighbor's donkey or ox or sheep or any animal to keep, and it dies, it's hurt or driven away, no one sees it, then the oath of the Lord shall be between them both that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods and the owner shall accept that and he shall not make it good. But if in fact it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner for it. Now, if it is torn in pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence and it shall not make good what was torn. So here it's sort of adding to this saying, hey, you know, if it comes down to an animal and... um, he's watching the animal for somebody or maybe all the sheep get together and like, Hey, I had 14 sheep and now I have 13 and that one over there is mine. No, it's not. I've, I, I have 15. And I'm counting 15. You're wrong on your count. There's just a disagreement on it. Then um, again, as it goes to the judges and, uh, and they just basically, the judges are going to say, you need to take each other at your word and, if you have loss, you have loss. I'm sorry. Um, if the guy says, well, no, I, I was watching your sheep, but a beast came and ate it and dragged it away. Well, you've got to have proof that that happened or you've got to pay it back. Now, I, I would just like to say, in the New Testament, he says to the church, when these kinds of situations come up in first. Corinthians 6, the first eight verses. Don't go before the civil magistrates with this. He boldly says, why are the righteous going to the wicked to get spiritual discernment? Aren't you guys the children of God? Aren't you guys one day going to stand in judgment over the angels? Why won't you submit to the church's arbitrary arbitration process and and not the world and he says I'll tell you why because you are trying to rip each other off you are trying to hurt each other in business and he says I just want you to know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God and uh and so he, he really lays into the Corinthian church that they would rather uh, play the game in the civil government, Christian against Christian, to because they thought they could uh, work the system to their advantage, even though they were not in the right. And he just said, look, if it comes down to that, and a Christian brother, soon a Christian brother, just walk away. Take the loss. God, God's going to sort it out. God's your provider. He'll take care of your needs. That person needs a spanking. God's gonna give him a spanking. Don't, Don't let the name of Jesus be shamed, Christian against Christian in the civil courts. And of course here, this is the spiritual and civil leadership at this time. I would just simply like to say later in Solomon, he gives in Proverbs, Solomon gives us some wisdom on these things. He says, my son, if you become surety for, notice, your friend. If you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, definitely not them, not even for your friend. Proverbs 17, 18, a man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his, notice, friend. So if you're being asked to take on the responsibility for someone else and of course this is probably more directly talking about co-signing on a loan, a house loan or a car loan or something where there's payments involved, but I think this very much applies. Just don't do it. Hey, can I park my car outside your house for three days and then it gets broken into? Hey, you owe me a new stereo system because I asked you to watch it and, and uh, it got burglared. Well, this is where, again, you just gotta say, I love you, you're my friend, but it's a responsibility that I can't possibly take on because there, there's just not enough certainty, enough ability for me to secure that. Now, if you wanna park your car there, I'm fine with that. If your odds are better that it, it it'd be safe there than where you live over in your area of town, then go for it, but I, I am not in any way responsible for it and I just want you to know that that's the smart thing to do oh come on you're my good friend just keep an eye on it you know take care of my my pet fish here <laughs> or my pet rabbit or my pet turtle I, I love all those comedy shows right where, where they're watching their friends uh, uh, goldfish and uh, they feed it too much, and it dies on the second day. And they go out and try to find a goldfish. It just looks exactly like it to try to pretend it uh, was their goldfish. And they always get busted, don't they? Um, you know. Oh, thank you for the rabbit. Now the one I gave you was a male. This is a female. But uh, wow, that was an amazing. Three days it had with you. Um, yeah, don't do it. it. It's just, it's it's going to end up hurting your friendship. Don't, don't let that happen. It's just life is too unpredictable and don't, don't make any guarantees. Well, in verse 14 and 15, now if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it being with it shall surely make it good. If the owner was with it, when he, uh, he shall not make it good. If it was hired, it came for its hired. So if you're saying, hey, Can I borrow your pickup truck? And you bring the pickup truck back, and he's like, wow, it's really running rough now. Or, hey, I don't remember this scratch over here when I loaned it to you. Or, um, and I've seen this. I I, I remember uh, many years back now when I was in my early 20s, I was having to move from one place to another, and this guy very aggressively said, hey, let me lend you my truck. And a friend of mine said, do not borrow his truck. He, uh, this is how he keeps it fixed. Um, <laughs> he, he, you, you, you borrow it, and then he says, ah, oh, my exhaust pipe isn't working. Can you give me a new exhaust pipe? Or, hey, you wore out my tires. I only drove 10 miles. Yeah, I know, but you wore them out. Uh, so again, the answer is just don't do that. However, if he says, hey, I'm going to help you out, and I'm going to drive my truck, and I'll help you move, then if it comes down to say, hey, you know, my, trunk got, my truck got dented while I was helping you move, then, then you're not liable. But again, I mean, you're going to feel bad, and wanna, you're going to want to feel like you're responsible, so it's just better to say, you know what, I'll just go run a U-Haul, and tear it up and not just turn it back in late and they don't know the difference and whatever, however you work it. Um, it it's, it can, it, you say, oh, it's no big deal. We're best of friends. But yet that guy 10 years later is still holding it in his heart that you dented his truck when you borrowed it. And uh, or he's sure that it was running rough after you were done with it. And, and he's seen you drive and you probably ran over a curb and, you know, you just won't admit it. I mean, and it just... Pesters. It's just festers and festers until, you know, something else happened. It's like, yeah, I know, just like you dented my truck. It's like, I even borrowed your truck? Oh, 10 years ago you borrowed it. It's like, I don't even remember borrowing your truck, man. Well, I remembered. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, people can get strange that way, can't they? Well, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to his wife. So, there ends up being uh, fornication, premarital sex, and it's found out the guy's got to pay the dowry. Now, this, back in these days, this dowry is huge. It usually took uh, young men uh, almost a lifetime to gather enough money for a dowry in order to get married. So people often get married until they were 40 years old because it took the time they were teenagers to 40 years old to get a dowry. So we're talking a humongous amount of money. And so he's saying here, that uh, if you basically defile this girl, um, you're responsible. As the guy, you're responsible. She's the weaker vessel. It doesn't matter if she seduced you or whatever the story is. You, as the man, are responsible. You're going to have to pay the dowry as if you're going to take her as wife. But if her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to to the bride price of the virgin. So he says, well, yeah, I wanna pay the dollars. I wanna marry her, you know? It's unfortunate we had premarital sex, but uh, it doesn't matter, because I'm gonna marry her anyway. And the dad says, no, I, I, you're not worthy of my daughter. Um, give me the money and take a hike. And he, he doesn't have a choice. Now, I'll tell you what, through the years of counseling, it's often a very dicey situation where a girl, uh, we'll have premial sex, get pregnant. And then there's this tremendous pressure, just get them married as quick as possible and, and keep it covered up that they got pregnant before marriage um, because of the shame of it or because of the embarrassment of it. Of course, in our day and age, there's no embarrassment about anything anymore. And usually we would come to me, you know, the shotgun wedding, Pastor, tell her, you know, they should get married because they already you know, got sex and got pregnant and now they need to, you know, buck up and get married and do the right thing. But I have learned often two wrongs don't make a right. And to have one stupid mistake compounded by marriage, a commitment for life, when they are not mature, they're not on the same page. And in many, many situations, it's usually... The Christian girl dating the non-Christian, you know, quarterback football player. She never thought she'd ever get to date, and he asked her out and fell apart and threw a Christian out the door for a couple of weeks to, you know, just ride in the wave of being popular. And uh, and then after she gets pregnant, she comes to her senses and 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 it's like, yeah, I'll do the right thing. I'll marry her. And it's like he's not a Christian. <laughs> They've only known each other three months. Um, you know it's it's not going to probably succeed and so you just take a big step back and just say no let's if you're really interested in marrying her let's sit down and say for the next year we're going to disciple you we're going to disciple her separately um, we're going to bring the parents into it and let them set up a courtship how that's going to look we want you to put in writing and uh, and document it your responsibility to help take care of this baby you know I mean it's you're talking about commitment for life. Let's just see if you'll have financial commitment for life, if you really think that, you know. So it can get pretty intense. But when those situations happen, you slow it down and, and get things right, and then they get married, even though the baby's a year old or a couple of years old or, or whatever, um, it's, it's better. But again, culture changes on how those things are, are dealt with. Well, in verse 18... You shall not permit a sorcerer to live. Somebody in witchcraft. Now, you say, oh, this is one of those things where they make the Bible look so bad. This is what the pilgrims did, burning all those witches and the Salem witch trials and all that. And I'll say, you're absolutely right. They They did not have good theology back in those days on how to apply the Old Testament law. And... To, to try to, it's, it's called eisegesis rather than exegesis. Eisegesis is where you look for a scripture to embolden you and, and give you permission to do what you want to do, you know? Um, and exegesis where you just let the scripture speak. And if you do that, then you got to say, well, hold it, does every all six does all the civil laws in the old testament perfectly apply to us here in the united states in the in the plymouth colony are we going to apply them all you'd quickly say no you're not can't be done because a lot of those were keeping the sabbath holy and getting circumcised and and yeah we're not doing that okay then then clearly this is not just one line put them to death and so, how do we look at the civil laws of the Old Testament? How does that apply to our community or our country? And uh, and and again, it's it's the same with slavery. Oh, they had slaves in the Bible. Oh, they didn't ever read about it. You know, let's have slaves. And oh, that's you know, get up and Sunday morning the pastor preaches. Yeah, God wants us to have slaves. And and it's sickening. It's sickening. It's truly sickening. In the New Testament. <laughs> What did Peter do with the sorcerer? He led him to Christ. And he burned all his books, his sorcery books. Paul did the same thing. Greater is he that is in us than he's in the world. What do we do when an unbeliever acts like an unbeliever? We pray for them. We lead them to Christ. You know, we don't, we don't go into a pagan culture in the Roman Empire and say, look at all these guys. Worshiping Athena, come on Jews, stone them all to death. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. This is n- nowhere, and, and, and Jesus, you know, when people totally sinned against him, he loved them, blessed them, did good to them. Remember when the Samaritan village rejected Jesus, and James and John said, should we call fire to heaven and burn them down for rejecting you? And Jesus like, what spirit are you of, man? No, no, no. In the same way here, it's just ridiculous that we, but again, what's God's heart on it? And I I hear Christians say, oh yeah, you know, I went over to these people's house from church and we did a Ouija board and it was so fun or, you know, we did this tarot card thing or, you know, we read each other's poems and, and, and I understand that the world and the Disney Channel and all, you know, Makes witchcraft and, and all these things look like a, a fun toy, an amusement park ride type thing. But it's serious stuff. And this is what God's saying. Get away from it. There's death. There's death in the sorcery stuff. There's death in palm reading and tarot cards and anything where you're opened up to demonic spirits. It's serious stuff. Bestiality. Do I need to say anything there? Uh, in a couple of years, it will you'll be the evil guy for thinking it's sin. Okay, I mean, guys, a couple of decades ago, I would just say, oh, homosexuality, need nothing to say. Every congressman, every senator saw it as wicked and evil and destructive to the society. Nobody supported homosexuality. And, and as far as if it was in the closet, that was still bad, but at least it's in the closet. But now it's all of a sudden... You are wicked and evil and, and, and vicious and non-tolerant if you say homosexuality is a sin. Guys, is that day going to come? I mean, I, I used to say there's a day that's going to come that good's going to be evil, evil's going to be good. You're going to be the bad guy if you say homosexuality is wrong. I got my sermons online to prove it in my archive. <laughs> And people would get grossed out. I can't believe you even said the word homosexuality in church. I'm so ill. My wife had to get up and lead the service. Don't mention that word again. And, and now I'm talking about bestiality and, you know, having sex with your animal. And here's somebody going, ah, barf, I'm got to get out of here. That's so disgusting. But is 20 years from now. <laughs> it's going to go to the Supreme Court. And they'll rule, hey, don't judge a guy if he wants to have sex with his dog. How evil of you? You're saying that we're not all animals, and just because you love an animal lower on the species level than you, that that somehow sin, somehow wrong? I I don't know how they would twist it. I didn't know how they would twist homosexuality to be seen as good. I just knew it was going to happen. And, and when you look at these things, they are compiled together. Look again in Romans 1. When the, you start not wanting to recognize God as God, nor to give him glory, you start worshiping the creature rather than the creator. It, de- it describes evolution there in, in Romans 1, in my mind. And then it says, then men start desiring men, women start desiring women. And then finally, God just steps out of the way and quits being the wall and the dam breaks and just, you got a society in the end of Romans chapter one, it just gives a whole list of what that society will look like, which is what our society looks like. And once you get to the rung where you approve homosexuality as good, there is no more wall. There's gonna be every kind of wickedness is just gonna flood the society, including bestiality. And, and you are my witnesses as disgusting and as far out and you're trying to picture somebody in Washington DC standing up and promoting it as the righteous cause of you know oppressed people who truly love their animals and these Christians oppressing them from letting their express their true sexual freedom to their animal, uh, you're gonna be evil for that. And I know it's insane. But that's the way I feel today about with the issue of homosexuality and transgendered, and all. It's just like, i it, it's driving me insane that everybody but a couple of ignorant, deformed, mindless, mentally ill people can't see how wonderful homosexuality is and transgendered and all of this. You guys are all a bunch of sickos if you don't agree with this. And, and, and it's just like, you, you know, admit, and now they redo all these shows, you know, where they show John F. Kennedy, and, and he's there hanging out with all these homosexualities, and Jacqueline Kennedy loves them all. Oh, I don't care if you're homosexual, as if that were really happening. But again, this is, it's, they're trying to rewrite history and making it look like it's always been accepted. It's just the narrow-minded Christians have made them feel guilty about their true sexuality and we're not going to let that happen anymore well get off my soapbox in verse 20 he who sacrifices to any god except the lord only he shall be utterly destroyed so again if you look at the verse 18 on sorcery and look at verse 20 you know the, the pilgrims and others who have done this would have had to be honest to say, yeah, this doesn't really translate here in our society because if people don't, we want freedom of religion. That was one of their top things because they didn't have it. Uh, in Europe, you had to be Catholic or Protestant or uh, Presbyterian or Lutheran or whatever. And if you weren't that, you were persecuted in your communities. They said, hey, freedom of religion. So that was right from the get-go. So right there, it's like if somebody didn't want to worship the Lord God the way they did, they weren't going to stone him to death. And they didn't, but yet they did witches. And in verse 21, you shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for he, you were a stranger in the land of Egypt. So let's talk about this a minute. This is a heated debate. Immigration, illegal immigration. What do you do uh, with all the dreamers and, and so forth? Um, yeah, I mean... When, when you have something that, that has been created dysfunctional, when you try to get it back to function, you're always going to anger half of the people. <laughs> because if I, if I make it functional this way, I'm making that half unhappy. If I make it functional this way, I'm making that unhappy. And I think it's just innate in every human being to to root for the underdog. and And we can all easily say, man, if I were living down in this or that country, whether it was Haiti or Somalia or, you know, in poverty in Mexico or whatever, man, I'd take my family and do what I could to roll the dice and see if I could live in get my family in a place where they could have a future. And I think we all know that we'd do that. We probably would, right? So we, we really can't fault anybody for doing it. But here's the, here's the issue, guys. It's just like if a homosexual says, You're, you can't judge sexuality. I'll teach the homosexual that he is judging sexuality, right? The homosexual judge the pedophile. He'll judge the guy who's into bestiality. He, 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 he will say, there is a line... Where even though I have genuine, sincere sexual desires, it's wrong if you act on that impulse in the same way here, there is nobody on the planet who's going to draw a line or not draw a line with immigration, okay you know let's let's develop the state of Massachusetts for. Isis people and maybe we can, you know, let them be, live in America and a democracy and they'll quit being Isis. Is there anybody <laughs> going to say, let's, let's get a hundred thousand people from different parts of uh, the Eastern world and come, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or, or just say, as many people that want to come from China, come on over. I mean, let's just face it. We're a unique country. And, and if we said to the world no immigration, you can afford a plane ticket, come on in. We would have 7 billion people in our country in a year, right? So I I mean, just logically, you have to say no. And so now the issue is is because our country's been dysfunctional, they have not been staying on top of it. So it's sort of like back taxes. and the interest keeps piling and piling until the $1,000 you owed 20 years later, now I owe $10 million uh, to the, you know. And so what we've done is we just allowed this to continue on, continue on, until now it's every year more dysfunctional. It's a larger problem until it eventually becomes such a large problem that even if you pass the law, you couldn't fulfill it. I mean. If, if tomorrow we said we're sending all 12 million illegal aliens out of our country, logistically, how long would that take? I mean, let's put them all on a bus. How many buses does it take to get rid of 12 million people? We'll get 747s, how many 747s? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It just physically couldn't be done. I mean, if you've got a bayonet in their backs and all made them start walking, if they sat down, you shot them, or something like many horrible evil countries have done. So I'm just saying, there is never going to be a good answer. There's just going to be an answer. And when people get into serious, dysfunctional situations, I say, "Look, the best you're shooting for is the best answer you can come up with in this bad situation. But there is no good answer for this situation. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. This is gonna be hurt if you do that, this is gonna be hurt if you don't do that. And so it really is a solemn situation uh, to have to, to cut the baby. And so, you know, back and you say, well, the Statue of Liberty, everybody come. Yes when we were inhabiting 1% of our land, you can have a much bigger immigration policy, right? If you can paddle over here, we'll give you some land. Okay, but that's that's obviously only gonna be the the policy for a short time, right? I mean, once we kicked all the Indians out and took over their land, there just wasn't any more land, right? Um, But, the, the point I'm making is that you've got to keep revisiting this and say what is right and what is not right. And again, I think 100% of everybody would say illegal anything should not be rewarded. But in this case, when it's the parents of the kids, you can't really punish the children of the parents. Who they know nothing else now but this. And so in making this, you're gonna make the best of a bad situation, but it has to be fixed. It can't continue on. There has to be uh, something that stops. You know, it's like right now, you're in a boat with a million holes and you're saying, bring more people in. It's like, we don't even have enough fingers to stop the holes we have, we're sinking. It's gotta be stopped. And then to reboot the system, and to be gracious. And this is what we find in verse 22. Uh, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out out to me, I will surely hear the cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. With your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not like uh, a money lender to him, you shall not charge him interest if you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge you shall return to him before he the sun goes down in those days they didn't have blankets they just used the robes and that is his only covering it is his garment for his skin what will he sleep in if it will be that when he cries out to me i will hear for i am gracious so you look at the severe warnings in verse 24 you mistreat the poor. You mistreat the person who's disadvantaged, or you're in you're in a more powerful position than they are, and you, in your power, in any way, are suppressing somebody who is less powerless. God says, "I'll kill you with the sword. I'll kill your wives. I'll kill your children." Um, he says, "I'm going to look on them, and I'm going to be gracious." So I look in, look at this situation with immigration that we have in our country. And and I tremble. Because I know that God's gotta be looking at a large percentage of these people saying, they're in a powerless situation, and you can't go to some 26-year-old guy who's, since he was a month old, has lived in the United States, and go, go back to Mexico. It's like, I didn't even, and my parents told me where I was at from Mexico, I don't even remember. You know, but you know, every, there's no family there anymore. There hasn't been family there in, in 20 years. I, I I wouldn't even I wouldn't even know how to get there. And it's like I don't care. You're going there. I mean, come on, guys. It's just it's not that is not going to happen. Um. And I would just simply say to the congressmen, and maybe you want to write them, and, and just simply say, we have all been strangers in a foreign land. We have all been this person under the yoke under the mercy of somebody have mercy on me and they're saying why what are you going to do for me i can't do anything for you at all i just ask that you in your position of power bless me and don't curse me with your power we've all been there right so when you're in that place hear god's heart I will hear their cry, and I will be gracious to them. We're to walk as the Lord walks, right? How many of you have been in that place under God? <laughs> How did salvation come? By grace, we've been saved, isn't it? God, with his holiness, his righteousness, the absolute certainty of judgment was gracious to us. Well, don't revile God, nor curse the ruler of his people. The Bible is really clear on this. We need to see those in authority as God placing them there, honor the king. Uh, We are to pray for the kings and for those in authority. And why? So we can lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God. So when it comes to the civilian world, he's basically saying, fly under the radar. Be a godly person. You're not talking bad about anybody. You're not talking about bad about the government. You're focused on heaven. You're focused on spiritual things. And, uh, and that's the majority of people. I'm not saying people aren't called to speak up. But far as out of our mouth, there's a godliness and a reverence. And it causes us to be able to, in the sight of men to see that we are living a quiet and peaceable life And this is acceptable before God, whose desire is not to get legislation passed. But in 1 Timothy 2, God's desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Guys, go back to the Bible and find out when the people sinned the most. It was under some of the most godly leaders. Talking about a sinful generation. He had Moses, most godly, most humble guy. They could ever get it didn't help them whatsoever oh we got to get the right president that'll solve everything oh we got to get the right congressman that'll solve everything guys always the ills of society is people doing what's right from the heart and that comes from being born again i don't know any other way and finally In verse 29, you shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices and the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Likewise, you shall uh, do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with your mother seven days and the eighth day you shall give it to me and you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dog. So no roadkill, you know. Uh, if I were back in Arkansas or Alabama, I, I might get challenged on this. But uh, here in here in San Diego, I think we're pretty clear on that. However, notice there it says, you will offer the first, the best, even your sons. Now, at this time, God's intention was the firstborn son of ever family would be a priest. Now, things went really sideways, and we're going to get into chapter 33, and we're going to find out that God said... That's off. Only the Levites, the entire tribe, is going to be the priest. But God's original thing was give me the first, the best, and your firstborn son unto the Lord. But the bottom line you get out of this is offer the first. Don't say, well, let me figure it out and in a couple of weeks I'll do it. They didn't have that option with produce, right? (laughs) I mean, you pick those tomatoes or those grapes, you can't say, ah. Okay, here, God, two weeks later, you're going to give him a bunch of smelly, rotten fruit. It had to be right away. And so even though now we're not in an agricultural society, this is God's heart, to honor the Lord. Guys, do you understand how important that is? Honor the king. Honor your parents. You say, well, how do I honor God? By giving him the first, the best seek him first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all the things of this earth he'll add unto us as he he fit. Lord thank you for your word tonight and as we hear your heart of justice and equity as we listen to the guidelines and standards we do pray for our country and that we would not be the people bad-mouthing the government as is such a favorite pastime these days that we would be men and women of God giving godly edification speech. And even though we may be upset and bothered, and we are in a country where we can vote and, and have freedom of speech, that we would always guard our mouth and temper our words to realize we're salt and light in this world, that we are ambassadors of Christ, that we are to walk as you walk, Jesus, speak as you speak. And I can't imagine you, Lord, sitting around with the disciples, complaining about Caesar, the Sadducees, or the Pharisees, and griping about them, even though you spoke against them when they were uh, speaking blasphemy. Yet, help us, Lord. Help us to honor all the things you want us to honor when it's with our power to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.